Hello, welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the full circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. Welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Today's special guest is Tracy Prigmore. Uh, Tracy and I met through LinkedIn. I saw she had this really cool competition that was popping up on my feed called She Has a Deal. And I then, you know, went down my, you know, clicking of links and all things and thought, oh my gosh, this is really cool. Like, I didn't know about this. Other people need to know about this. I need to find out more about how she started. So we have, you know, had subsequent, many subsequent conversations since then. Um, so I'm so happy to have her on because um, hotels is something I think everyone, you know, we all love to go to hotels. We all love the hotel experience. Um, and I think when you think about it in terms of an asset class for real estate, sometimes you don't know as much about it. Um, and so I'm having her on today so that we can get into all things hotel um, and just, you know, of course, hear about her background and experience. Um, she's, of course, got an amazing career um, in not only healthcare, but her transition into uh, commercial real estate and subsequently hotels. So um, I'm excited about today's episode because I think we will we will be revealing lots of things that you may not have known and hopefully um, inspire you again to consider something that you may not have known existed. So uh, happy to have you on, Tracy. Welcome. Thank you, Garland. Good to see you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Uh, so I'm going to dive right in because you've got an interesting story. And I um, I think for all the folks out here doing corporate jobs, this one's for you. Um, you know, I think when we think about, you know, we're working and then we start thinking about what it is that we want to do and we start exploring other options and looking at other things. Um, you know, how we get to those paths are always fairly interesting. So I think my first question for you, let's, before you even talk about that is, you know, what was growing up like for you? Was real estate in your purview at all? Did you have anybody around you, you know, that kind of brought that to life for you? What was your upbringing like? No, no, I really didn't have any exposure to real estate growing up other than my uncle was a real estate broker and my father sold uh, on the on the side. He sold uh, houses and mainly just to friends and family. Wasn't his primary career, but I did grow up in a two parent household. My parents were uh, very um, uh, sh- they sheltered us. Right. They sheltered us from some of the craziness in the world and they uh, but they, you know, they were very committed to us. I grew up with three siblings, and I'm one of the middle child, the second child. So I probably lived a typical uh, second child type of life. But uh, yeah, I had uh, a stay-at-home mother, uh, working father, and they were pretty strict. And um, you know, what I'm finding out now as I, I look back, 
because I'm working on an article for um, ABEP, which is the Association of Black uh, Estate Planning Professionals. I'm working on a, uh, an education session on closing the wealth gap, the racial wealth gap uh, with the perspective of real estate and, and ownership of property. And so as I look back, and I'm reading about the historical uh, systemic racism that existed with uh, simple things like home ownership, I start to look back and say, oh my goodness, my parents were pioneers. They left the uh, urban, uh, grew up in St. Louis, they left the city uh, for uh, better opportunities for us to uh, get a better education and move to the suburbs. And we were the only people, only black people in the neighborhood. So I was the only um, in you know, my grade school. And, uh, and you know, so I, when I think and reflect back, you know, my upbringing really has, you know, shaped me for who I am today based on the experiences that I had being the only and growing up in a majority, you know, white world with uh, so much uh, of the challenges that existed there. And, uh, and understanding my parents and their bravery and, um, you know, moving us, you know, to a suburb with, where things were unknown and where we were, frankly, not wanted by many people and the experiences that came with that. Yeah. Were there things happening in school? I know everyone uh, kind of confronts their differentness or otherness um, in school or, you know, given you said you're the only in the neighborhood, you know, I don't know if it was a, a neighborhood where there were other kids and, you know, going outside. And I mean, where, where did you kind of realize, oh, we're, we're kind of doing something different. Yeah, here. we're different. Yeah. I think um, I didn't notice it originally um, until people started to let you know, <laughs> you know, that you were different and that would be people wanting to touch my hair and, 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 and some of it was just pure curiosity because I believe many of the children had never experienced um, black people in person. And so I think some of it was innocent curiosity while there was others that had hatred and, um, and you know, we were called the N word and uh, we even had circumstances or situations with teachers who would make comments and, you know, causing a little bit of trouble where um, found out my mother was a fireball because she would uh, go to the school. She did not let things uh, go by passively. She would go to the school and confront uh, those uh, teachers, the administration, the families. I do remember a few occasions, and I, I thought about this last night, where we had people come into our home and sit on our couch and apologize <laughs> For calling us the N word, um, so you know my, my my mother was very determined to ensure that we were respected. Um, you know, we're respected. We're people too, and she yeah. wanted them to know that they could not mess with the Thomas family. <laughs> yeah, so we were there to okay. stay. We were there to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, that's crazy that. Well, you know, it's not, and I know the history of this country. It's still just every time. Every time I do these interviews and hear the, the person tell me, you know, this is what happened. This is how we grew up. It's like it brings back like all of these things that I I think, you know, that they're happening. But until you hear someone say it, um, it's always like, oh, my gosh. OK, so this is like 
just another day. This just happens often enough that you're just like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah. No, I was, I was going to say that as I look at real estate and, um, and closing the wealth gap, when I think about the fact that my parents moved in 1971 and I read history where there were uh, neighborhoods, many suburban neighborhoods around the country where blacks weren't even allowed to buy. You know, there were deeds that were backed, you know, by the government saying that if you sell, you cannot sell to colored people. Um, and, and that was that held back a lot of wealth creation for blacks um, because they couldn't even buy, even if they had the money or the means, they could not. And they were, uh, you know, they were uh, forced to stay in suburban or I'm sorry, urban areas where there was a decline in values and or they and there was nothing necessarily that they could buy. So it, it's really intriguing to me when I look back. I wish my parents were still alive today so I could have the conversation. Like, at what point did you say, you know, I'm going, <laughs> you know, we're going. And at what point did they say you can come in? Because at some point, I'm sure that we weren't even allowed, you know, to to buy in that neighborhood. Right. Yeah. Um, when I think about that. Yeah. And just conversations about the things that you didn't know as a kid. Like, you know, as a kid, you're just kind of there. But then you hear from them. Don't you remember that? Well, this is the story behind that. And you're like, what? what? Oh, this <laughs> right. Like, what? like why? they weren't, you know, they probably tried, you know, prior to 71, maybe for all I know. Right. The neighbor, we bought the model home. So clearly they weren't out there uh, able to build from the, the ground up. Uh, we bought the model home. So. That yeah. when I think about that, it's pretty interesting. And then when I think about um, the children, where you know, as, as a child, you just want to play with other children. And I used to love to have pajama parties. And I found out um, under I can't remember the circumstance, but there were people who did not come to my parties or invite me to their parties because of our color. And my mother really sheltered some of that from us. I didn't find out about that till a little later that some people, they made excuses why they couldn't, they weren't available, but it was really a, a color, a race issue. So, so wow. we had just like giving me Megan Markle vibes right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, oh it does goodness. shape you. It does shape you. So I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, I reflect back and I think about all that I do and why I'm doing it. And, and then when I think about the fact that it took me a long time to feel like I belonged, just because for so many years, you know, going to all white institutions and things, uh, you knew something was different. Sometimes people let you know, sometimes they didn't blatantly, but subtly you knew you were different. And so just trying to find, you know, my place, uh, yeah. uh, you know, what, you know, who, who I am or what I'm, what I'm here for to do. So it's been a journey. Yes. So let's talk about, Finding your place and, you know, you know, the, the, that young adulthood part where, you know, you're, you're, go, you're going to school, you're doing all the things, you know, trying to be a good citizen, trying to figure out where your place is in the world. Um, and then at some point, it's not as fulfilling anymore. Or you just start thinking there's got to be a better way to do this. Um, so take me through that journey of kind of, you know, starting your career, 
building your career and then deciding to pivot into something else? Yes. So what I learned about myself was that, you know, I've always, even in grade school, I think I would consider myself more of a leader, a silent leader, but I was definitely an introvert, you know, definitely on the shyer side, but at the same time, uh, a leader uh, because um, I always had ideas. You know, I always had things that I wanted to create or do. And I brought that to the table. I can remember back in grade school, even on the playground, you know, uh, hosting races um, <laughs> around the playground or different activities on the playground. But one of the things that uh, has been a challenge for me is I, I think it's part of being a second child or, or not fully knowing um what or I wanted to be or you know, what my passions were. Um, I, I um, really followed in the footsteps of my sister. So I had an older sister and she ran track and she was excelled at it. She was really good. You know, she ran um, in high school, she ran in college. And um, because she was so good, my parents were supporting, you know, her dream for that. So I really wanted to dance. Um, my father couldn't relate to dancing and, you know, and we were in track meets every single weekend. And, um, and I started dance, but I always would miss, you know, because we were at a track meet or we were traveling. And finally I just said, well, I'm going to run track too. You know, if I can't uh, beat them, then you join them. And so I, I looked back and I said, you know, I was too passive in expressing, you know, what was, what did I want for me or being able to articulate to my parents, what I was passionate about, you know, what I wanted to do. And I kind of just fell into what other people, you know, were doing. Uh, I didn't really have, didn't know how to express my voice and my needs. I said it, but not in a way that I think was impactful to have my parents shift or, you know, feel like, okay, yeah, we need to really support what, um, you know, what she wants. Cause I, I don't, I don't blame them because I didn't express it in, in a way that um, made them take action. So I'm really conscious of that with my son and really listening and, and watching and what are his passions? You know, what is he really good at? And what does he want so I can cultivate that? So that's my whole role in life right now as a mother, right? Is paying attention and cultivating that because I felt like I didn't, I got off on the, the wrong start of running track when I didn't really like running track. Um, I ended up going to the same school um, that my sister went to, my father encouraged me to, but I didn't know anything else. So I'm like, okay, I'll go there. I applied at a couple of places, but you know, I, it was really just, okay, I'll do that. Cause I, I wanted to, I don't know. I don't even, I want, I don't want to say I wanted to follow what he wanted me to do. I just was just not knowing enough. I wasn't exposed enough to other things. My parents didn't go to college. It was, we were really first generation, you know, to go to college. And, um, so I went to the same college and then my grandmother worked in healthcare, and so you know we worked at the hospital growing up uh, in high school, and went through those summer programs. and And I liked healthcare; um, it was interesting. But again, I didn't know much of anything else, so I pursued a career in healthcare. Not really, um, you know, for, for fully knowing or understanding what were my passions and what I wanted to do. So I really followed that pathway. My sister uh, wanted to be a doctor and, you know, I worked in the hospital and that's what I saw was doctors. And that was an aspiration. Hey, I should be a doctor. So I went to school to, um, and studied pre-med. And then when I got to school, I'm like, Oh, I'm not so sure about this, right? Like this is not really, 
um, it's not really what I want to do. It's not feeling right for me. Um, but I ended up in healthcare because I, I was actually working as a front desk uh, clerk at a hotel and met a pharmaceutical rep. And we were talking about that, how I, you know, I wasn't going to apply to med school. I didn't want to go to med school, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And he started talking about healthcare administration. He said, you know, you mentioned you're really good at business. You love business. Have you ever thought about that? I'm like, I didn't even know it existed. And so then I started to explore that and it sounded exciting. And my father was like, yeah, you're really good with numbers and you're really good at business. My father was a businessman. And so I pursued that career, um, you know, in healthcare and enjoyed it. And it, it is a passion of mine to see people, um, you know, live healthy lives. But um, I always felt like something was missing or I really wasn't uh, fulfilling my full potential. During that time, I started uh, investing in real estate. Uh, I read a book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that led me to understanding about real estate investment and financial independence. So as I read that book and started reading the whole series, I thought, wow, you know, it would be great um, if I were to invest in real estate and create financial independence so I can supplement my retirement savings because I was working in nonprofits and I thought that that would just be a good idea. And so I fell in love with investing in real estate and just started, I started where I was. I didn't have a lot of money, didn't come from a lot of money, didn't have a lot of money working a nonprofit, but I took a bonus, bought my first um, investment property and then continued to invest in residential properties from there. Wow. So when you decided to start to do real estate investing, what what did you do to just get familiar with, you know, what you should be doing? You know, I think people, there are a lot of people that want to get into real estate or have an interest in real estate. Um, but they're like, you know, what, what, what should I be doing first? Should I be getting my license? Should I be taking classes? Should I just be, you know, doing working with another person and mentoring, you know, getting that apprenticeship mentorship, you know, kind of thing. What, I mean, what did you do? How, if you look back now, was there, you know, was there a thing that you'd feel like I could have done this and I'm glad I did this or I did this. And if I could go back, I would do it differently. Was there anything there um, that you can share for someone who's like, I want to do that too, but I'm like, not even sure where to start. Yeah. I did a lot of reading. So the internet was there previously, but not like it is today. So I read a lot of books, the books you have to order that come in the mail. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So I read a lot of books. Um, I joined a mastermind group and um, I was just trying to soak up as much knowledge as possible. I took too long to, you know, take that first step because it, you know, I just was in fear. I kept thinking, what, what if the tenants don't pay? You know, what, you know, what happens if I have to uh, evict them, you know, like all the, the negative, right. I was all this, the what if person. And, um, and then, you know, uh, but finally I, I, I struck, but I, I just advise to people to, to educate themselves and then understand, you know, where your lane is in a sense of like, what do you enjoy doing? Because you don't want it to be a burden. You know, you don't want it to be this thing that you begrudge or, you know, that you're not enjoying doing. I began, doing it and really got excited about it. And, you know, that it became my money-making hobby. 
Like I didn't play golf or, you know, I did play a little tennis, but, you know, it wasn't something that I did on a regular basis. But my weekends uh, when I discovered real estate shifted from shopping to, you know, shopping for clothes. I love, you know, clothes and shoes to shopping for houses. And uh, I was fixing them up. So I was shopping for toilets and sinks and tile and, and those types of things. But I would, you know, just recommend there's many different ways to get into real estate investing. So I, I recommend that people assess themselves and what they're not necessarily capable of, because I think people can be capable of a lot of things. But what do you enjoy doing? Because it shouldn't have to seem like it's so much work, you know, and that it drains you. It should, you know, excite you what side that you're, you know, in on the business. But I, I again, I did a lot of reading and educating myself, going to, you know, seminars and, and you know, different types of conferences to learn about investing in real estate. So how did you go from residential to hotels? Because that seems like a jump. <laughs> so, you know, at the time when I did go in, when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad's book, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to invest in commercial. But I do always recommend to people start where you are. So if I would have waited to invest in commercial, you know, I'd still probably be waiting. Um, but I, I started where I was and he talked about, you know, residential and all that. And that made sense. It was attainable, right? It, I could um, could do that. I thought commercial, honestly, was only for very rich people. I thought you had to be extremely rich. I didn't know at the time that, and I, why would I think about it anyway? But I didn't know that most commercial real estate is owned in a syndication. You know, a groups of people own the real estate. At that time, I had no idea of that. So I thought I'd play a little bit of Monopoly. And I really, at that point, didn't really think about hotels in my Monopoly game. I just thought I'd buy as many houses as I could. And then I would, you know, uh, sell them and have enough money to get into commercial real estate. So I always had my eye on commercial real estate. Uh, finally, as I, um, the, the, there was a, a basically, um, you know, this big boom in real estate and everybody was buying real estate. And so I got to a point where I could not make the numbers work for buying, a, you know, I was buying condos, single family homes, uh, townhomes, and the numbers just didn't work. I would be paying people to live in my rental property. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to accelerate this commercial thing. I don't have enough money yet, but let me just go learn. So I took a commercial real estate investing course the CCIM series. Uh, it was about five, I think, courses at the time. They were all a week long. Now I think it's all online. But I'd have to literally take off work and go sit and, and take these courses. But I loved it. I really got a lot of joy out of uh, you know the financial analysis and the market analysis, all of that that comes with the CCIM. And uh, I was even getting 100% on my exam. So I was like, I'm, this is my, this is me. I'm really enjoying this. And I was learning. So I started applying those concepts to my residential properties. So I was doing more thorough analysis and, and, and such, but I knew I wanted to get into commercial real estate. And one of the instructors, I remember um, Byron said syndication and started talking about how commercial real estate is owned in syndicates and and this whole thing called sponsorship. And I'm just like, wait, back up. Like, what did you just say? And so he, you know, he, he uh, referred me to a book called It's a Whole New Business and uh, by Gene Trowbridge. And so when I figured that out, like I had no idea that that was, and I knew that was my ticket to getting into commercial real estate, which was through syndication. So I bought the book 
couldn't wait for it to come, you know, had a snail mail back then. I got on a plane. I went to Las Vegas. I learned everything I could learn about syndication. And, and I decided that was my ticket. So now my next step was which hotel, or I'm sorry, which commercial asset class should I invest in? And so for me, I wanted something I could be passionate about. You know, now at this point, right, I've learned like I'm not just going with the flow. I'm picking things that Tracy enjoys and, and that Tracy uh, will get excited about. And so at the time, I was traveling extensively for work. And uh, while in class, we learned that hotels were a special asset class, I had no idea that it was, it just didn't occur to me that it was an asset class that I could buy because, you know, I was staying in big box hotels that I didn't know the price, but they looked, they looked 20, 30, 40, 50 million, who knew, but not something I would start with. And I just continued and I started looking at retail and multifamily and, and started looking at those deals. And um, all around me, um, so number one, you know, we talked about it in class. Number two, I read an article um, about with Bill Marriott about their franchise strategy. Still didn't, still didn't occur to me. I should, to um, you know, seek hotels as the asset class. And then um, one day, I was in Florida. I had bought a condo on the beach, and I was um, looking, you know, looking for a place to stay while I furnished the uh, the condo. And I stayed in a Hampton Inn in Aventura, Florida. And I remember it was the first time I had stayed in a Hampton Inn. I remember thinking, this is great value because the internet was free. Um, breakfast was free. When the woman said parking, everything was free. And I was like, wow, like that's so interesting. And so I remember going to bed. I had talked to a friend and told them I'm staying in this hotel. It was only $99 and I have free internet because back then you paid $14.95. And um and so I went to bed thinking that, and I woke up with an epiphany, I should buy a hotel. And from that point on, I went through that whole process. Okay, how do I learn how to you know, buy a hotel? I started Googling and um, was, intro- was introduced through an email. I'm sure it was the cookies from NABHUD that talked about a conference for Black hotel owners and developers. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, what is this? <laughs> like, how did he find me? I'm sure it's, it was cookies now, but back then I was like, this is, this is really strange. I think I better pursue hotels because, you know, how would he know and how likely is it for, I'm looking for a hotel and a month, less than a month later, someone's emailing me about a conference. So being the introvert I was, I was still like, oh my goodness, I'm going to go to a conference by myself. I'm not going to know anybody. But I was so excited about investing in hotels and learning that yeah, I booked, um, registered, booked a flight, and uh, went to. It was in Miami. I went to Miami and attended my first NABHUD conference, where I began to learn about hotels. And so, at that point, I learned about it, and then I learned more because Hilton put on a Women's Development Day that I was uh, fortunate to get invited to because uh, the gentleman was there at the conference talking about it. Although it was for people who were ready to go, who you know, knew about hotels and just needed to be introduced to Hilton, I was able to talk my way into an invitation. And I literally stalked this man via email, phone calls to try to get an invitation. So I was lucky to get an invitation. So that was really my first um, journey into understanding Hilton and, you know, their commitment to women hotel owners and uh, the fact that it was in reach that I could become a hotel owner. So that started my journey. Okay, so 
we're going to talk about hotels and misconceptions about hotels. Cause I think everyone like you thinks big box or they think, you know, you know, you maybe have a little B and B or a little hotelier, like a little small little boutique thing. And so that's like all, you know, that's kind of all there is, or just like, what are the difference between those? And I think, The reason we're doing this today is to make it clear of when you say hotels, there's even within that, there's a range of things and how things work. Um, So let's talk about some of those misconceptions and just what you learned once you started getting in it. Yeah, there, you know, there's an evolution in the industry. So when I first started, there weren't as many select service hotels. You know, those are the the smaller uh, like Hampton Inns. Uh, Fairfield Inns, uh, things that many of us are very familiar with now. When I first started looking at hotels as an option, there was more of the larger full-service hotels and not those smaller ones. So, um, and I think that's why most people, and then they have, a majority of the hotels have a branded name, Marriott Hilton. And I think the misconception that a lot of people have is that Marriott and Hilton and Hyatt, they all, you know, they own all the hotels. And, um, and I think that is because the franchise model is fairly new. I think it started in the 90s, is my understanding, and really picked up in early 2000. So um, I was actually right on time when you think about it, because it was early 2000 when I stayed at that Hampton Inn. It was a brand new Hampton Inn, um, and it was un, you know under the initial um, company that owned the Hampton brand. Hilton actually bought the Hampton brand. So... Um, so for, for people who are interested in hotel ownership, they have the option to, uh, to buy uh, a franchise and, and develop or acquire a franchised hotel, or you can create your own brand. Now, when I started, of course, I mean, everyone has a vision of creating, I should say everyone, but a lot of people have a vision of creating their own boutique brand. I mean, it's, it's sexy. It, it seems fun. I personally didn't even think it would be possible to get financing for, you know, a hotel uh, that wasn't branded. So based on my research and based on the fact that in healthcare, you know, we had, you know, I dealt with a lot of uh, healthcare real estate and we partnered with REITs and, and such. And they would say, you know, when I talked to one of my healthcare colleagues and said, hey, you know, I want to get into, you know, real estate and I'm going to look at, you know, healthcare and how would I go about partnering with the health systems? Oh, they wouldn't even look at you. You know, you have to have a net worth of this, that, and the other. And so with that being told to me and then the, the uh, education I was getting when I was studying hotels, I thought, okay, well, the brands is a good entree to get in because the lenders see um, the brands as a less of a risk to them. So, you know, they're able to, if you, for whatever reason, uh, fail at that, there's others who can pick it up. And uh, also they're going to be more successful because that brand is very well known and they have all the you know reservation systems and all the infrastructure you need to be successful. So my strategy was, okay, I'll, I'll focus on brands and that'll also probably be easier for me to attract the capital, um, the equity capital to get the the investors, because they they know Hilton, they know Marriott, they know Hyatt. So I decided, you know, to focus there. But of course, I have a um, a dream or a vision of creating some type of boutique brand. I think a lot of hoteliers do. 
So if you are interested in owning a hotel, you can take the branded route or you can go the independent route. Uh, what you have to understand is, you know, what what are your financial capabilities uh, as you uh, formulate your strategies or, you know, now I think with the Internet and social media, the ability to market an independent hotel is much greater than it, it was even five, 10 years ago. And so uh, I think the ability for someone to come out the gate and do a boutique boutique hotel is probably more in reach than it was when I uh, you know, first started looking at hotels. Yeah. So what are some of the uh, lessons that you've learned along the way in terms of just, you know, syndication, um, ownership, you know, what you want listeners to know about what's, you know, what's possible. Um, because I, I really, I really believe that the only way we know is when we know, like, I know, now I know this is possible. Um, so what is it that you want people to know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want them to know that uh, there's many different ways to own. And um, if they want to own and, and what we call sponsor. So what I do is I sponsor deals through syndication where I identify an opportunity and I do all the heavy lifting, you know, doing all the analysis and due diligence. And once the, uh, I'm comfortable with it, then I go out and I look for investors, you know, to partner with, partner with me to co-own the real estate, you know, to co-own the hotels. And so that's, that's one way, but, you know, that's an active way and that's taking a leadership role. So what I, what we're trying to do is to get more women in those leadership positions because there's not that many women, you know, that are actually in leadership role. However, if there's people who are already in a profession or already, you know, have um, that uh, thing that they're doing, but they, they're looking for opportunities to grow their money, you know, their investment portfolio, they can passively invest as a limited partner in one of um, my deals or another sponsor's deals and, and be a limited partner and not, take on, they only have the risk of the money that they invest, you know, not the risk uh, that we have as sponsors. As sponsors, you take on the risk of the loan. If you get a loan or if you're in a franchise, you take on the, the franchise uh, guarantor, guarantee, you become the guarantor. And then you are you have a, fis, uh, a fiduciary responsibility, you know, to your investors. So that's a, that's a big role. And so it does take some money, you know, to get started. There's at risk capital that you as a sponsor have to put in to even get to the point of putting in a contract and um, closing, you know, on that hotel. So you have to have the money yourself or have somebody who's willing to put up that at risk capital for you. But more importantly, you are a fiduciary. You are taking people's money and you have to take that seriously. And, and, you know, and you have to do all that you can to ensure um, that you know you um, optimize the returns, or you know don't lose that uh, those investors' dollars that they have invested and entrusted you. So it's a very much a trusted position, and you really have to build a network of people who trust you, and you have to build um, more of the competencies that are needed to effectively, you know, manage the hotel. Now you can hire a third party operator, which is what we currently do today, where they manage the day to day, but you 
need to hold them accountable. You know, you're responsible. So if they do something bad, you did something bad, right? You are uh, accountable for what they do and you have to stay on top of them and um, you you can serve in a role. I serve as the, in the role of an asset manager. So I'm actively involved in our properties, but you can hire an asset manager, but then, um, you know, you still want to, again, make sure that uh, all is being done to optimize the return and that they're not you know, losing the money that your investors have entrusted you with uh, for that particular investment. So it does take a lot more work and knowledge you know, to become a sponsor, but it is doable because there is today lots of um, information out there to educate you and to support you. Um, you know, in the endeavor, you know, should you want to become a sponsor and you can become a sponsor of any type of real estate or, you know, and, um, and put deals together for others who are glad to be able to have an opportunity to invest in real estate, to add real estate to their portfolio. There are a lot of people who just invest in stocks because there's the stock market, you know, bonds and mutual funds. There's many advisors who do that. Um, there's fewer, right. That, are actually advisors of investing in real estate and making available those alternative alternative investments to you uh, to invest in at levels that um, you know you, you may be comfortable in depending on you know your level and where you are financially. Got it. Okay, so let's talk about she has a deal because I think um, your own journey inspired a lot of this in terms of you know, realizing what was possible, um, creating, you know, relationships with women to let them know early, you know, in college, uh, what's involved in the financial analysis and due diligence, you know, looking at hotels, as well as just what it's like to pitch, because I think that's a huge part of, you know, you got to be able to sell it to someone else and, you know, show that this is going to be valuable, um, and what, you know, what objections people may come with and, you know, your ability to overcome those. I mean, you have to be really ready for what that is like. And so um, she has a deal, I think, is a great opportunity to start those wheels turning. Yeah, yeah. So I created She Has a Deal because when I entered the field of hospitality and you know, hotel ownership, as I mentioned to you, my journey of trying to understand and learn, it took me way too long. I mean, way too long to really get in there. I did out the gate, jump in and uh, put a contract in, uh, got a contract, got a hotel under contract, went through the whole process of putting together my syndication and all my paperwork and uh, ultimately um, didn't get the financing. So the, the lender had approved me for the loan. They even flew out here to D.C., and, uh, but he said, one contingency, you have to get an SBA loan. I went through that whole process. I literally had my hand, you know, on the keys to this hotel when SBA um, basically said no. Like they, it's a 504 loan. They voted three to two. No, you can't be successful. This was 2008 when everything was a little crazy and they just felt uh, the committee, not hotel owners, not even underwriters, um, just felt like it's a recession. And then there was somebody on the committee who said that, you know, it just can't be, um, it, it, it can't be successful. We're in a recession. This was a person who, you know, uh, was a manager at a full service hotel. So he swayed the committee. Um, 
to, to know that I couldn't be successful. And that really broke my heart. I mean, I was really, um, you know, naive, you know, you don't know what you don't know going in. I, although I'd done my research and I had prepared probably my whole career for this opportunity because everything that I'm doing now, um, I was learning and, and developing that through my uh, healthcare administration roles that I had in operations, strategy, marketing, all of that, all that I've been able to use and pull together, you know, to be a sponsor. So when I looked around and, you know, I started going to conferences to learn and I looked around and there were barely any women in the room. And then when there were, when, when, when there, excuse me, when there were women in the room, they were not on necessarily the ownership side. Uh, and so I, I was really baffled by that. Like, why aren't there more women, you know, that are on the ownership side of the business? And so I started inquiring, thinking about that. And, um, you know, I really wanted to see more women. And I knew that they were interested because once I finally <laughs> uh, was able to, you know, to get into ownership and sponsor my first deal, I did have a number of women come to me and say, you know, can you help me? Or how do I get started? I've been to this conference. I've been to that conference and I still don't know where to start. Is there like a case study? Is there this, that, and the other? And then I could relate because I felt when I was seeking information, I couldn't find information the way I needed it and, and the way I needed it to, to get comfortable with taking on the risk. And so I just, I wanted to create that. Um, I could visually see what would be helpful you know, for these women. And, um, and, and I just believe also that the world is better when women are playing a, a, a bigger role in the development of all industries, right? It, I mean, if you're creating things and building industries and you only have half of, you know, <laughs> half of the population contributing, um, and even that goes for race as well, right? Um, then you're really missing out on a lot of innovation. And, and so I knew that as a woman um, and as a traveler that, you know, there was a lot, I, I saw a lot of opportunity to improve in, you know, in the hospitality industry. And so I, what I did though, um, as you should not do, is I started socializing or telling other people what they should do. So I reached out, you know, I talked to Hilton, I met Chris Nassetta and I mentioned, you know, the women's development day that they had done and I hadn't seen it again, you know, I asked him, why are you guys not doing that anymore? And that he, you know, we laughed about and had some conversations about that. He connected me with some of his uh, vice presidents and we began talking about what they could do. I'm telling them what they should do, giving them all types of ideas and information. Same thing happened when I became a Marriott franchisee. And um, then it occurred to me because, you know, they were very interested and, um, and you know, but they, they were very interested and wanted to do things, but I wasn't seeing things happening. And it occurred to me that I needed to do it, right? I had the experience. I was visually able to see what was needed. So for me to be telling people what should be done was really a cop out, <laughs> right? Um, and so uh, I had a conversation with uh, the head of development, Eric Jacobs, about um, you know my uh, the vision for that Marriott had for ha getting more women owners. And out of that conversation, when I hung up on that conversation with him, it just clicked for me, and I started putting pen to paper and started writing out what it would be. And I came I came upon um, the fact that. 
first of all, there's women who don't even know that it's possible and they need to be inspired and exposed to hotel ownership. But most importantly, they need to be educated in a way that makes sense. For the majority of women, we, we think a different way when we're going to take on risk. And so I had created this uh, framework. I call it a nine-step hotel investment roadmap that I had created for myself, for my own firm, because there's a lot of pieces you know, to the puzzle of investing. And I needed to uh, work in a framework it's just my nature. And I felt, well, maybe other people are like me too and, and need that framework. So I could share my framework and teach these other women how to become a, a you know, hotel uh, sponsor. So I was very focused. We're very focused on women leading these investments. And then if there's women who you know, don't want to lead, we're helping them to become savvy investors, right? If they want to be limited partners, you know, what we do, how we educate helps them to be become uh, savvier, you know, in their investment choices and decisions. And so, you know, I put it together and thought that, you know, you have to make it, a, a, you know, competition would make it more exciting. Um, and, and then we have to be able to um, end this with the women becoming owners. So we started out uh, focused on early career women because in, for my, you know, in my opinion, uh, they were the ones that we can most influence because they were just, you know, finishing their careers or deciding what their career path would look like. And, and and I was able to prove that even in our first year where women came to me and said, I've changed my um, major to real estate investments or I'm doing a, a minor in investments or a dual, um, a dual uh, major in investments. And then others were like, you know, I'm going to work for an ownership group or I'm going to work for Hilton. But I never even thought that, you know, I could own a Hilton hotel or, you know, I could be the owner and create these companies. I was just going to work for them. And so I knew we were really on to something by even, you know, mentioning the topic and putting this uh, together. And so we're more than just a pitch competition. We actually provide education to these women when they're going to pitch um, and, and, um, you know, and participate, but we also provide master classes to others who are not eligible for the pitch competition. So we received a lot of emails and phone calls when we announced the pitch competition from people who said, Hey, can I participate in the education piece? I know I can't pitch, but I could really benefit from this education. And so we started creating the education and now we have a master class. We have master classes and master, and we have a mastermind where, you know, People come together, men and women, to help one another. And then I coach them to help them become, you know, hotel owners uh, with a focus on becoming a sponsor. I love it. I love it. So basically, we are moving from wanting to be in the industry just to participate and engage, but now owning in the industry and making sure that we are you know, sponsors and involved in, you know, franchises and leading the way in those areas and teaching people how to do it so that you're not having to, you know, figure it out by yourself. I think that's everything with women. I don't think we, we learn better when we're together. When we have questions, we don't feel like, you know, sometimes you're like, maybe I'm the only one that doesn't know this. Um, 
And so having a supportive environment to do that, to, to learn and, and ask questions and feel like, you know, someone's got your back and you can trust that the information you're getting is, you know, solid um, and looking and seeing someone like yourself who's done it already. So, you know, you've kind of figured out the secret sauce with your framework. And so you can help guide people through the process and make sure that they have, um, you know, they're, they're not missing anything so that they can be successful. Cause that's what we, nobody wants to fail and figure it out. If you can win and figure it out, that's much better. Yeah. And, it, that, and we built a community that is continuing to grow because I think there's a lot of uh, uh, synergies that can be gained by speaking with others and sharing your experiences, whether they're positive or negative, right? To help other people not have to, I call it, you know, that we're helping people, we're catapulting them on their journey, but we're helping them to leapfrog, you know, some of the blatant kind of mistakes I made early on, you know, the naivety um, that was there. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that you have to go through things, right? You have to um, experience, you grow from experience, but if you have a network of people who are willing to share experiences and resources with you, you know, just think how phenomenal our industry is going to be uh, when more women are, you know, building, not just at the table, but building the tables, building the hotels, um, you know, and, and being successful. So I'm really excited about the future of what we're doing. And, um, and I really feel like God called me to do this. Um, you know, I've been a servant leader. I've, you know, done that in the healthcare field. I created a case competition in the healthcare field that's now, you know, 25 years old. And many of the people who participated are now um, CEOs of major healthcare systems. And they attribute some of their success to, you know, getting into the case competition and meeting mentors early on because they were in the case competition. They were able to meet leaders um, and they were able to show and demonstrate um, their capabilities, their thinking. So it's, it was actually what we called a sort of live, uh, actionable job interview. So when they were when they were um, presenting during the the case competition, they're showing you know what their capabilities are to articulate, to think. And so employers were coming to the competition and looking for talent because they had that active job interview. So they didn't you know that resume came off the paper. And they could really see and understand how this person would think through a problem, these complex problems. So bringing it to the hospitality industry, you know, in the entrepreneur side is really exciting to me because when I think about being that front desk clerk um, in college, I worked at a hotel for two years and I even worked closely with the owners of the hotel who lived in the hotel, but never, no one ever said to me, you know, did you ever think about owning a hotel? You could own a hotel. I can just imagine if someone would have even mentioned it, maybe I wouldn't have paid attention, but if they would have mentioned it and said, come to this class or, you know, join this competition. Um, wow. You know, that would have been life changing for me. So I, I really believe that we're um, changing lives for the women who participate in the competition, as well as the men who participate in our master classes. I believe, you know, we're really forming something special that will really change uh, the trajectory of those person's lives, as well as the industry, you know, for the better when it's more diverse, more inclusive of uh, not just women, but, you know, underrepresented minorities like 
you know, black people, other people of color who have not been able to, uh, who have been faced with barriers and have not been able to get into the business. But we have to work on that next barrier um, that we're working on now, which is the capital. So I'm spending a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, how do we make capital more accessible to people um, who are capable and who want to be in the business. So I, I yeah. believe, um, one last thing on that, I believe that the women that I have met that are in the hospitality industry who have spent their careers in hospitality will make excellent owners because they understand the operation pieces that are um, definitely required for ultimate success. And they are supporting many owners um, that, you know, and making them um, very successful and wealthy. And if they were able to take that same knowledge from an ownership perspective, I mean, I think that they would be dynamite. I mean, I can't wait to be able to build up uh, my team more with the brains uh, and intelligence and that I've met in women throughout the industry and my journey. Wonderful. Okay. We are going to start to wrap up because I want to make sure that we have, you know, a chance to put your information in the show notes. And I have my like last two questions that I ask inclusion and equity drives my work. Inclusion and equity drives my work because representation matters and you cannot be what you cannot see. And so I really want to um, ensure that everyone who wants to be a hotel owner, even in commercial real estate has the opportunity you know, to be in the business and to thrive in the business. What does life look like coming full circle to you? Yeah. So for me, life coming full circle, what that looks like to me is that finally that the greatness um, and brilliance that I have always known has been inside of me from a little girl, from being, you know, math champ in grade school to um, creating you know, my own entrepreneurial um, endeavors. I mean, I used to sell candles and do little things that, you know, I didn't realize that was entrepreneurship, but I would make things and sell them. Uh, for me, the full circle is that um, that the, the excellence um, that, I, that I have and the greatness and brilliance that I have is, is actually uh, appreciated and actually the barriers are removed so that, that my value can add value to other people's lives. So what I mean by that is having grown up in an environment that said that, you know, as a black woman, as a black person, I wasn't good enough or the barriers that were put up uh, for me to be successful, you know, to move up a corporate ladder or to have an opportunity to, you know, to, you know, get loans or, you know, access to capital, which is still a challenge, would be removed, you know, right? So that the excellence I knew growing up, um, growing up, is is being able to be fulfilled. And so, as a child, you don't you don't know barriers, right? And and then you think you can do everything and be everything, and then you get into the world, and you know you get knocked down, and then you start to second guess. Well, can I? Um, and so the full circle would be that you know it, it's finally um, the time where people are recognizing and allowing that greatness to shine. And so when I, I read yesterday that, for example, Goldman Sachs has, you know, has launched this a million black women initiative to help 
remove some of those barriers for Black women in the workplace as well as entrepreneurs, that it's like, wow, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That like there's finally recognition that we have a lot to contribute to the world. We can help to change the world and that um, the barriers that have been holding us back, because it's not necessarily ourselves that are holding us back. It's the uh, environment that's holding us back, that that people are recognizing that and ready to remove those barriers. So that's what Full Circle to me is, the fact that um, as a child, I didn't see barriers, um, but then you know they began to grow as I uh, got older and now I can you know, remove those and go back to that childhood um, openness and naivety that I can do anything. Got it. Perfect. Well, everyone, I am putting Tracy's information in the show notes, uh, her, you know, company, uh, in addition to information about She Has a Deal, whether they're interested in the master classes or, you know, participating in the pitch competition um, and just, you know, following what's happening right now. I saw that there was a capital raise that happened, which is awesome. Um, so there's just so much I'd say out here. Um, there are people doing awesome things. Um, tap in, find out. I think there's lots of great things. Um, and this is women's history month. Um, so you're going to be hearing from, you know, awesome women doing things, uh, in this world and making, making a way out of no way, um, and just making a way for others, uh, lifting as we climb, as I say. Um, so that is, that is what it's about. Thank you for your time today, Tracy. Thank you for, you know, sharing your story, being very, you know, I'd say transparent and, and candid about some of the things that are obstacles, but at the same time, how you've, you know, found a way to overcome them. I appreciate you and your story. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What a great conversation with Tracy Prigmore. I enjoyed speaking with her because I feel as though we have lots of people um, who I think can relate to her story. Um, she started out in a career that I think she felt was um, kind of chosen for her. Uh, what I enjoyed about her, uh, I think, points that she made is that she was taking a more passive role. Uh, what was available to her, things that she wanted to do were more for I, you know, had ex what she had access and exposure to at the time. Um, and so what I enjoyed about her conversation is when she realized that there was something else that she was more passionate about, more interested in, was excelling at, she moved and fixated on that and learned more and did a deeper dive and made an effort to make this her career path. Um, and so what I think we can all learn from her is to not take a passive role in choosing a career path. Uh, I know oftentimes we have, you know, influence and input from a lot of people around us, be that parents, be that sometimes partners, or just sometimes not really realizing what's available. And so what I enjoyed about her story is she deciding to take an active and present role in what she wants to do moving forward. The second thing that she said I think was really critical is this idea of syndication. And when you think about commercial real estate, particularly when you get into the ownership side of things, when you realize that a lot of ownership is happening as a result of people pooling their money together and people investing their money together, um, it makes such a big difference. I think so many communities of color 
are oftentimes thinking that in order for them to do some of this stuff, they have to do it by themselves and they have to, you know, raise all this money or find all this money by themselves. And so what she, I think, said a few times is you can, you know, do this with other people. If you want to take an active role and be a sponsor and, you know, have most of the responsibility in terms of doing all of the due diligence and have a fiduciary duty to your investors, that is huge. But if you realize, you know what, I just don't have the time and bandwidth to do that. And I just would like to do this on a more passive level and invest in someone else's um, syndication where I get a you know, statement and that's kind of my uh, part in this, you can do that as well. So um, look into syndication, look into what she's doing. I've had a few people on and we'll have a few more on talking about syndication because I think this is such a powerful piece of generating wealth and making sure that you have um, access. And so I really enjoyed her explaining that process because I think oftentimes we're just not aware um, and do you know further research and due diligence on your own to figure out how to become more active and involved. And then last thing she said was when she decided to start, um, you know, looking at how she could do, she has a deal. Initially, she was bringing it to other people and saying, hey, this is what you can do. Uh, and so what I loved about what she said is she realized that she had all of the tools. She had all of the knowledge. And so sometimes when there's something that you see that you would like to see done, sometimes that's the calling for you to do it. Um, be the change you want to see. We hear that all the time. And I think her story encapsulates that because she knew she wanted to help other women get into hotel ownership, understand the process. And the only way for her to be able to do that was for her to be able to put the things together for it to happen, especially the vision that she had for it. Uh, sometimes if you're not seeing what you want to see out there, it's a calling for you to be the one to put it together. And so don't be afraid of that. It's oftentimes asking for you to step up and step um, higher so that you can uh, bring something into the world. So I enjoyed speaking with her so much because I thought there was just so much about her story in terms of making a decision to do something, going for it, driving forward, realizing you want to bring other people with you and making an effort to put something together with She Has a Deal in order to, you know, bringing other people with you. So enjoy my conversation with Tracy. Um, hope you did too. Uh, please be sure to, you know, when you go to garlandfuller.com, if you want to be kept up on all the things that I'm working on, uh, join our mailing list. If you want to, you know, connect with me via LinkedIn, please feel free to do so. I am excited to continue to grow this community and get to know everyone. Um, so please feel free to, um, let's connect. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram at full circle with Garland. And if you'd like to be a guest, go to garlandfuller.com. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with me. I hope this next week helps you to recognize the full circles in your own life. Bye-bye.